everyone, and welcome to The Hardcast with your very own Tristan Sean Gregson. Live, I guess you could say, in a way. For me, at least, it's live at GP Denver's site. The tournament has yet to happen yet, but we at Channel Fireball are here. Meanwhile, en route, not quite here yet, is my co-host, Robert. Yes, and I am anxiously awaiting to get on an airplane Friday and get out there and be a part of the coverage. It's going to be exciting. Anyone within any reasonable distance who's not currently en route, please do head down to Denver. Check out the Grand Prix. Even if you're not going to play in it, it's a full weekend of events, full weekend of uh, Sweet Channel Fireball booth with a ridiculously large buy list that it took us forever to put together. But it's uh, it's going to be a great weekend. Looking forward to uh, like there's going to be a whole media zone at this this weekend, which is new news to me. Like I I've never heard of that being an event before, so we're interested to see uh, what, what exactly we get to see. That actually will be included uh, of people that from MTG Cast that'll be there that'll be doing some one-on-one interviews uh, there. The the Jin Chris Hotwell uh, they will be doing interviews of the pros while the pro tour is going on. Or the Grand Prix Grand going on. Grand Prix only, but that's all right. Uh, I mean, that's a great segue, though. Leading right into the content of the week, our first heading as far as our show. So we got going on. Uh, we all, let's see. We like to, again, sync a lot of the feedback on the show and thank a lot of the people for that. Uh, we also, something happened last weekend, I believe. It was a big, it was a big weekend. It was a magical weekend. A lot happened. Yeah, and I think someone from Channel Fireball did uh, fairly well, I think, at the tournament. She's just someone who had to be undefeated on day one, who happened to go into day two as the best limited player, quote-unquote, uh, from other people, in the world currently, the Ben Stark, or Bill Stark, depending on who you know and how well you know him. Uh, ben Stark from ChannelFireball.com, taking it home with uh, the team deck, but not the team drafting strategy, because that is all his own, and a master he is. Uh, yeah, I did, uh, I mean, please interject your thoughts here, Robert. I was impressed with the deck, uh, the, the new version of Cogo with Stoneforge Mystic, and the Salvok Lifestaff to help stave off the Boros-slash-aggressive decks. It was amazing, the fact that he always seemed to pull out that Stoneforge Mystic when he was in real trouble with life, and then all suddenly that Squadron Hawk would be sitting there as a 2-1. You kill it, I gain three life. Now all of a sudden I get the board back to stable, and then it was over. It was impressive. Who would have thought that a common would make an impact on Pro Tour? Well, I I think the best um, kind of comparison Luis was able to draw is it's like making all of your creatures into bottle gnomes. Um, and if you think of it like that, there's a lot of decks or threats in the environment right now that are so, you know, uh, aggressive-centric that a card like that just becomes really good. I mean, you know, the equipment could even be you know, zero to cast, one to equip, or zero to cast, you know, zero to equip, and all it did was gain you three life every time it went to the, uh, a creature went to the graveyard, and it would still be playable in this deck because you're really turning the tide in races. You're... Uh, you're making it just fine to trade uh, and still being ahead in the swing. So I think I think that was um, I, I you know it's it's a key card you could point to that obviously they, they, these guys worked on to make a decision was what would be good um, in that respect. But I, I think that um, you know, looking back, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. It's like oh yeah, I want I want all my guys to be battle gnomes when I'm playing against vampires or goblins or boros or all these decks where they're trying to be put a very aggressive clock on you and kind of go all in on their hand early. 
Well, the one thing you mentioned also is the fact that there were other people for Channel Fireball that almost made the top eight. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Luis himself, who, uh, you know, a certain other person on his podcast was hesitant to pick as his potential winner <laughs> last week, finished uh, in a mere 10th place, losing to um, Paul Reitzel in, in the match, you know, needing to clinch top eight. Um, you know, Luis, actually, you know, a little preview coming up on Magic TV talks about uh, that experience and kind of the, that matchup where, you know, uh, Boros is, is, you know, positioned fairly well against kind of the Cago deck. And Luis got to see that um, firsthand playing it against it a couple times at the Pro Tour and in the very key match against uh, Paul Reitzel. Well, and you got to give Paul Reitzel a lot of credit. I mean, he ran that deck, I mean, basically you know, to its absolute maximum ability. And legitimately, there were times in those matches that if Ben didn't have the answers in his hand from the uh, from the destroy all uh, creatures, uh, stuff like that, yeah, if he didn't, have, yeah, yeah. he didn't have that answer, it would have been over. Oh, I, I definitely think uh, all parties involved would say that the match going into the finals was, was heavily favoring Boros. And, um, you know, Ben had to... He had to draw very particular cards and had to have uh, Paul not draw a lot of cards. And, um, you know, again, like, you're looking at, you know, from Reitzel's deck, he's play, he played against Luis in the round going into top eight against the same deck and, you know, beat Luis to get there, and, and Ben managed to, to squeak it out. And so, you know, I, I, I would definitely think if you were to run headlong, you know, 10 games pre-board, 10 games sideboard of that matchup now, it would... In all likelihood, it would be very favorable for the Boros player. Yes, and again, it was a very, very good matchup, and it seemed like every time that uh, Rietzel started, he had the card right away to start. You know, it's land, it's, you know, it's step links. It's, it was like he was always ready to go, and it was, it was quite interesting. It was a fascinating match if you guys didn't get to see it. But we also have some articles to discuss this week. Well, yes, because because Ben S uh, was busy winning and we ha- he hasn't had time to put together a tournament report yet, which I'm sure will cover all of the things we mentioned and then some. Uh, we actually had a lot of other content this week. Not, not I wouldn't say filler, but I would say uh, things in the interim while the pros were doing what they do best. Yes, Shuhei Nakamura uh, explained why it was important to run four cryptic commands and fairies. There's been some debate whether to run four or three in fairies. And he went through a full discussion of why it was important to run four and why it was necessary based on the build and the way the matchups went, which was very good. Uh, Adam, now, Bonner, oh, I, go I think this is I think this is great, and I think it's awesome at the same time, which for me means two very different things because it, it is a, it is an amazing example of how much the Japanese can just make all these micromanagement decisions. And how they view decks and how they view magic. And it's like, my mind is blown. You can write an entire article about the number of cryptic commands to run in your deck. Not like, is it good? When is it good? When should I play it? When is it bad? Determining, you know, kind of base for it. But simply saying, here's three, here's four, here's two. And then taking 2,500 words and explaining what the right number is. I, I think that's incredible about the Japanese players and their writing. I mean, I look at it, you know, like Americans can write that about trading, but I've never seen an American write an article where it's like, I'm going to run, you know, uh, 
three Hero of Oxid Ridge in my Boros deck from my here on out, and here's exactly why that's the number you should run. And so for Shuhei, I, I think, obviously, if you're going to be playing Fairies and Extended, it's like a must-read. Like, you've, you've got you've to gotta get in these guys' heads and understand what goes into the seemingly precision deck-building science that the Japanese have always had. Well, I think that's one of the advantages of having a writer like this on staff, because he may be able to provide that little bit more detail, like in the case of Cryptic Command, on why it is beneficial. And like I said, it makes a difference. There's PTQs, there's all sorts of stuff out there, and Extended's still around. So therefore, you know, it, if it helps to give more detail than just someone posting a deck list and saying, this is my deck. It helps. So, yeah, we're in good shape with that one. We also have another article from Adam Barnello, how using Winston Draft can help your cube experience. Uh, He describes the difficulties of having a full group sometimes to work with your cube, to have the eight people, and sometimes difficulty with people being in different places and stuff like that. And sometimes just doing a Winston Draft can help determine if your cube is good or not. Uh, huge fan. I mean, uh, I am a, I mean, I'm a huge cube fan. I'm a huge cuber, whatever you want to call those people. Um, cube is probably one of the reasons I'm even here today doing what I'm doing. Uh, and I, I, I'm Winston drafted. I two man drafted probably more than anything else because A, I don't have that much time to play and B, I'm usually on the road with one other person. And, uh, you know, many a meal has been won or lost over the box of cards. And I think that, uh, cube drafting in general is amazing. Probably the most fun thing you can do playing Magic. But Winston drafting is, it's like a must for, for Cube, in my opinion. And plus it's so easy to just be like you and one other friend between rounds at F&M, hey, let's Winston this thing, and then we'll play our decks you know, between the next round. Like It's something to me that's going on like almost all the time, as opposed to getting six or eight people together to try to, to, to you know, sit down for a proper draft. Uh, you know, big well, deal. I think, it's, I think it's great. I think it's something, something everyone should know how to do, and, and you know, it's, it should be, should be a format people should play in the future, in my opinion. Well, it's kind of fun because it goes through pick by pick and, and, you know, shows how it comes out and how the matches went, which, which is interesting. The question is, did you bring your cube? Oh, my, mine, mine is here in Denver. Now, oh. you have to understand it was not easy to get it here because, <laughs> um, you know, being an employee this weekend and not a player, a lot of my luggage was, um, luggage space was taken up by, uh, by work related items, which is awkward to say when you're talking about, Magic cards versus my own magic cards versus not magic cards. Anyway, I, I had to fight for some carry-on space for my box, but after a uh, nice conversation with airport security, as usual, I was able to uh, to get it into the great state of Colorado, and hopefully we'll get a chance to play somebody at least once. Maybe in a heads-up Winston draft. Who knows? See, that sounds like fun to me, if you ask me personally on that one. Uh, Matt Nass wrote an article this week, and... Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Oh. Elves? Well, yes, but, but... But, but, okay, please, I'm still listening. Okay, okay, he kind of explains a little bit this week on how to play cards at a certain time, uh, decision-making, and he uses LSV's match as an example of how LSV was in control of the match, and he played uh, one card over another, and had he reversed the decision... It would have won the match for him. And how sometimes your decision-making, you know, when you should make correct decisions, and yes, he does give you a bonus elf deck that if he would have chose to play it, and he didn't, if he would have chose to play it, that would have been the deck he would have played. 
Now, is he talking at the Pro Tour? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. So you're saying that despite the fact that Matt Nass more or less wrote an article entirely not about elves, he still included an elves deck list at the end? It was slipped in there. Absolutely. Okay, okay. And, of course, it does run, like we've talked about before, four of the Green Sun Zenith. Not not at all surprising. Not at all surprising. I mean, what, um, a, what a beautiful card for it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, I, at this point, I've, I've got to stop. And while this is a family-oriented show, and I definitely think that everyone can sit around the computer with their entire family listening to our podcast, I would like to stop and point out that if only reading articles was somehow a group activity, because I'm pretty sure you could create some kind of elaborate drinking game to a Matt Nass article elves reference combination. Like, I, I know that's not the only thing he writes about, but I am pretty sure I could drink a lot of grape juice to uh, a Matt Nass Elves article. <laughs> well, the only elf he doesn't have in the deck is Vengevine. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to say he's running every elf in standard except for one particular one, but no, instead no, no, he's no. running elf cards plus a Vengevine. That, ma- that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. I, uh, at this point, I feel like I could go to sleep and just dream Matt Nass Elves list. One <laughs> Copper Horn Scout, zero Copper Horn Scout, four <laughs> Nettle Sentinel, three, three Wire with Symbiote, you know. Mm. It's all there. It's all there. I mean, you know, I don't knock him for it. He makes it work, and he plays at a different level than I, I understand. So it, it is what it is. Sometimes when you're really good at something and you just you're so comfortable with it, it comes natural. Like in his case, uh, the one thing that I kind of liked about it that he slipped in there was the lead the stampede card. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh yeah, there was a, you know there's there's a lot to consider when playing you know, when possibly putting that card in your deck. How many exactly is going to draw? You know, is it worth playing? Is it not? You know, it's a sorcery, not an instant. Um, all those things. Again, my mind is so distracted. I'm just trying to think, like, you know how, like, wizards will print cards to try to push, like, decks out of a format or an environment they think are too powerful? What if you just pushed Matt Nass out of magic? What if you just reprinted, like, Parish and or Engineered Plague? Would he just, like, go do something else for a year or something? Like, <laughs> I, I just wonder what life would be like if wizards printed those cards in, like, you know... Miradum Pure, New Phyrexia, M12, all of a sudden you're like, oh, sweet, Parish Engineered Plague, I missed these cards. Well, if they stop producing elves, there'll be a lot of people complaining because over time... Uh, uh, I'm not saying you can stop producing elves. Obviously, Orlando Bloom has made it so that elves are going to be in magic for any foreseeable future. Uh, and a small shout-out to Peter Jackson in the same same uh, kind of avenue. But um, as long as more Twilight movies are made and Orlando Bloom exists. We'll see particular tribes of magic for a long time to come. He does have a Valakut deck that he also discussed too. But it does have an elf in it, just so you know. Obviously. Actually, obviously. Two. But yes. At, at this at this point, I would expect somewhere in his seventy five there to be like an Elvish Arch Druid or an Elvish Champion or a Land War Elf or like a Nettle Sentinel, just somewhere. It could be legacy, it could be like a sweet countertop deck, and he's like, and then you board into elves. <laughs> But moving on, enough about the green mage. Well, you know, he does enjoy he does enjoy his green, I'll tell you that for sure. Um, like I said, Parish, M12. Chaz Andres goes into a 10x10 list that includes lists about bears, TV shows, and uh, shows that features spaceships, and also interesting magic cards to buy. I thought it was interesting because, personally, the spaceships one really got me because I was thinking of how many TV shows had spaceships in it. I'm going through my brain and I'm racking it out, you know, the old Battlestar Galactica and stuff like that. He really had a lot of fun with this article. And I think in many ways uh, for the 
a, a little bit, I don't want to say semi-older crowd, but, you know, those of us over 30, uh, some of the lists on there, he had some of the, the uh, uh, our shows he had on there were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so it was funny. The top 10 shows that feature a spaceship, which was great, was Red Dwarf, Farscape, Babylon 5, the original Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, X-Files, Star Trek The Next Generation, Futurama, and everybody's favorite spaceship, Doctor Who. So That is, that is quite the comprehensive list. Yes. So uh, Chaz is very familiar with the sci-fi. Yes, very, very That's familiar. I've learned so far. I can't believe you just spoiled the list like that. I was totally going to check out his article later, but now, oh, no, now no. I'm not so sure. Definitely the part I was most... I mean, unless there's like... Does he like rank bears? Is yes. Is like black, brown, polar... Oh no no he has the bears, he has the bears. Right. My interest is my interest level is peaked again. I'll, I'll go check it out just so you see how he lists bears. And the one and the one let's see the it's actually funny because I'm listed looking at all these bear lists and I'm going through it. I'm like I remember this one. I remember that one. It, it's kind of funny. You just it, you know and then he talks about cards that are overvalued and cards that are undervalued. The so there's some list. involved. So there's there's a list of like bear magic cards as well. Yeah, yeah, you can find prices on them too. You can click on I, them. I, I, I'm going to call it right now. Easily number one on that list. And please don't tell me if I'm right or wrong, because for starters, I don't need to know. I know I'm right. But uh, see, the problem is I don't remember what the bear, the name of the card is. But that's really not what's important. I think it's from Portal Three Kingdoms. There's the raise the roof bear with the paws up. I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere on the list and you saw it. But that that is hands down the best bear card in Magic. Is the raise the roof bear? People out there, you know what I'm talking about. Look up this card. I'll probably I'll probably add it to show notes or something just in case. Forest bear. Is that it's, who it is? Forest it's bear. Forest bear. Easily the number one. Not hands down. There's there's no comp. There's no like spectral's good. Spectral bears are good. All that jazz. Uh, forest bear. All the way raising the roof. And then he talks about some cards that are overvalued and standard right now. Uh, the one card on the list that. I was kind of surprised he put that was uh, over overvalued right now is uh, um, Vengevine. Is it just because it's not being played that much anymore? Uh, yeah. I mean, you took away it soon. At the right time. I could definitely see an argument for Vengevine going down. I, I think it's a solid card and you know, it's his, it's his argument. It's his arena. I definitely would check out his article to see what he has to say about it. Okay, and then and then the part that you would like, the top ten well, best. That's what I would like. I like spaceships and I like Golden Bear. Well, and here's the best one. I think you would like the top ten best draft formats ever. Again, number one, cube. Not even close. Not even close. Uh huh. Which 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 three together does he put down as number one? I cube, think cube, 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 cube. <laughs> oh, Star, but I, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Golden Bear, or sorry, Forest Bear, not Golden Bear, Forest Bear, and uh, and uh, what was the last one? Oh, yes, Cube Drafting. Yes, that was the last one. And yes. Cube Drafting. Okay, well, you'll have to compare. I answer for a thousand, Alex. You'll have to compare that. Are you gonna? Uh, speaking of Alex, are you uh, having to get a chance to watch the uh, amazing computer take on the two best winners of all time on Jeopardy? Um, I heard multiple people talk about it at the office, and then I saw like the Yahoo.com 
flash information at you for half a second, you know, spit at you where it said, you know, whoops, human beings. And I was like, well, there, who's surprised by that? Um, I, I, I thought the most entertaining um, kind of excerpt I heard about it was that at one point, like Ken Jennings says one answer that's wrong, and then the computer immediately makes a, gives the same answer. I thought that was entertaining. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Ken did have a heck of a run, but uh, if you want to compare yourself to the supercomputer. I, I don't really understand why they do that. I mean, I, I guess back in the early 80s, computers were so shitty that when they played chess against a human, it was entertaining for everybody. But nowadays, you know, hello, the Internet, like Wikipedia, all we do is go on there and talk about elephant farts. Like, it, it should know everything at this point. It, it shouldn't really be a contest. <laughs> We also well, talk more Alex's. Well, someone on our website wrote something this week. Yes, Al- Alex wrote how main decks and extended work, and what the true value are the, uh, to them are to winning your next tourney. Uh, it's another article of right now with the seasons being the way they are right now. Anything to help you in in extended, it does help and shows. He goes through, you know, how PTQing after besieged and what cards, you know which decks ranked higher over the other, and it's a good article. He goes through um, different decks like the Fairies deck and the Valakut deck and the Naya deck, which the Naya deck is one of my personal favorites, but only because that back then I really enjoyed it. Uh, talks up a little bit about Bant, uh, defining what is power, because a lot of times you look at a card and determine what it is. Is it is this card better than another? So it's a great article. Interesting, interesting. I'm uh, still not, never really got into the extended. I think, I think I knew I wasn't going to have a chance to play this season, so I kind of turned a blind eye to it. Um, but there have been some interesting decks and de- definitely some interesting articles about the format. And uh, Alexander Shear is usually one of the most comprehensive writers for the site. He definitely goes into detail on a lot of things. So I, I, w- I would definitely trust what he has to say, what that's in there. And then, of course, Paolo wrote an article this week about being in Paris and how it went and how he described how he got to his deck and, you know, how things went. Um, I, of course, picked him to win where he was at because I just I just assumed since he was in the, you know, top ten at the time that it was going to be no problem. Um, unfortunately, things didn't turn out that way because drafting sometimes can be an absolute nightmare. Uh, but still... It's a great article. It goes into a lot of fun and stuff like that. PV is uh, easily one of the best on the site. Uh, he always has the best quality writing of the stuff that I've seen or read. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, who who misses a PV article? I, I almost feel like we don't even need to mention him on the podcast. Because I have to assume that everyone that stops by the site reads his stuff. Um, I also have a little uh, future insight for you. Uh, actually... Uh, Paulo has agreed to do a Men of Magic with us. Spectacular. I th- That one is going to be a lot of fun for me because of the ones we've done previously. His name gets mentioned all the time. And I, and I know you're a huge fan. You guys, like the Money Night Magic crew, everyone likes to talk talk how incredible Paulo is. And Conley's Baby Potter. But, you know, gotta, you, apparently you just got to get it in everywhere. You can't... <laughs> Twelve minutes can't go by without that being referenced somewhere. Hey, it's not my fault. I, you know, blame he's the one who brought it up. All right, all right, all right. Let's 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 finally talk about the much waited, much anticipated. You have to have either read this by now 
or have just completely given up all hope. LSV's article for this week. Golden Artifacts, Part 1 and Part 2. This weekend especially. Set, set review for Mirror and Besiege. There you go, everyone. You're ready to draft now. Yes. I told you what to do. Yes, and he a lot of cards that are described as ineffective and standard, which there are an awful lot of them that seem to be very ineffective and standard, even though this is an artifact set, are very powerful within the limited format. And he describes them why certain cards are effective and certain ones aren't. And, you know, I was hoping to see that there was going to be more that are effective, but, you know, you can't argue with a man that has results like that, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and and not surprising that Tezzeret, you know, was considered, you know, one of the most effective cards in the set. <laughs> yeah. But you have a buys and sells for the week. Yeah, again, let's, you know, let's remind everyone it's a little bit light on the article content and video content this week, next to nothing, just because uh, everyone's coming back from the Pro Tour, a lot of them going straight to the Grand Prix, um, you know, starting to form those those much-anticipated tournament reports about Paris, and, you know, probably get some Denver included uh, to be created by everyone in the near future. So we're going to go from kind of uh, a content lull in the last couple of weeks to just through the roof. I mean, Besiege is going to come out online. You can have videos from all of your pros, uh, maybe myself if I can get my hands on a new computer because the one I used to have now has a giant crack in it and uh, don't really, really want to record on that. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff to come. Only only a few to talk about this week. So let's just get right into buys and sells because we've got so many cars moving around with the Pro Tour that just happened. Um you know, let, let's. I mean, where to, where to begin on this list? You're looking at it, Robert. What do you want to hear about first? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd, I'd like to hear about uh, Knight Exemplar. Knight Exemplar. There was a lot of. Uh, I'm gonna guess. You know, inflation on this card because of the Mirren Crusader, because of Hero of Bladehold, like even Hero of Oxen Ridge. Um, you know, there were there was a lot of like, oh, knights, knights is finally going to be a deck. Knights is a, knights is a thing, and I was astonished when uh, Exemplar went from like three three fifty, it's like seven eight dollars. Um, it stayed there for a lot longer than I thought it was going to, especially as deck lists from Besiege started to slowly creep out. Where, you know, sure people were playing a few knight cards, but they were just kind of playing the ones that were good already and didn't need a knight lord. So I think uh, Knight Exemplar is coming back down to about where it should be, kind of being the lord of a tribe that doesn't really have a lot of tribe synergy, that being knights. And, uh, yeah, unless there's some... I mean, I just I just don't see it being a deck. I, I, I mean, I never saw it being a deck anyway, but I thought, you know, who, who knows? Uh, but now I don't really see it happening. It's a great FNM card. It's a great tribal card for all those people out there that don't want to build an anything deck. So it's still going to hold value, but it's definitely not the 7 or $8 bill that you could pass it off of a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I was hoping they would provide more support for it, but it doesn't look like they're going to support it uh, in Besieged like I thought they were. Maybe in action they might give support to it, but... I, I don't think it was a card that was like ever designed to have more cards designed around it. I think that Corset Lords are kind of a staple of magic, and that with white in M11, they printed a new one because Field Marshal seems kind of awkward anyway. Um, you know, knights are cool. I mean, we've got the dual deck, or it's, yeah, the yeah, the dual deck, or what deck is it? The knights versus dragons, or whatever, yes. coming up eventually. So, you know, sure, there are more knights in magic, but I don't, I don't think it was something that was 
ever meant to be pushed as so heavily. I mean, knights are out there. Okay, big deal, whatever, let's move on. The next one that went down that I'm... I don't know, I, the, another deck that hasn't... A card hasn't found a home is Thrun. Uh, I think this is, you know, I, I think Thrun is um, kind of the victim of what a lot of cards are a victim of right now, which is if it didn't have a strong showing at the Pro Tour, a lot of people are going to assume it's like, well, these cards must be bad. You know, 450 guys who are supposed to be the best in the world went and played with Magic, you know, the sets that are currently out, and they didn't play this guy, or he didn't have a showing in a good deck. Like, he must be bad. He must not be worth anything. Um, and thusly, he's kind of starting to taper off. I mean, he's he was at 22 weeks ago, or even a week ago. He's down to like $12, $13 now. Um, you know, how low could he go? I don't think a whole lot lower because it's still just as good as it was in theory before, which means that if it ever found a home, it should be just fine. Sure, he's legendary. Sure, that makes it might be awkward when you're running four. It's still a good card. It's just like green expensive spells didn't necessarily have a big showing at the Pro Tour, and a lot of people are really hesitant to, you know, bother holding on to that kind of stuff if it's, well, I want to play it now, I want it to be good right now. So he is dropping. It might be time to invest. You know, I was going like, to say, because it, it seems, that seems like a card, like a lot of the Mythics have done, have done this spike up, drop down, then all suddenly it finds a hole and it spikes back up again. I mean, well, this, I mean that's the thing about pretty much any Mythic Rare, is that if it becomes a four of, in a competitive deck that everyone agrees is competitive, it will go up in value. I mean, you look at Sun Titan, Frost Titan, Inferno Titan, all those guys at one point were considered to be the worst Titan, not going to be played anywhere, not good. As soon as they go into a deck, especially in, in high numbers and multiples, a card like Frost Titan, you saw it go up to $20 kind of out of nowhere. Um, I don't think Thrun will quite have the same effect just because no one's out there saying, well, he's the red-headed stepchild of this, or he's just not good like this other card. But he has his niche already. It's a good card. I think if you ever found a deck, he's obviously going to go back up in value quite a bit. Let's talk about one that's going up. Uh, Mirren Crusader. This guy is so sweet. I mean, between Sword of Feast and Famine and Mirren Crusader, vampires are going to have a hard time being good. Uh, you got some pro-black guys. And what really pushes Mirren Crusader over the top is that it has Double Strike, which, with all these swords running around in Type 2 right now, all of a sudden it's like, maybe I just milled 20 cards out of your library and made a couple wolves. Or maybe I made, discard, made you discard two cards. Or maybe I just domed you for eight. Like, he is really good. I mean, let's just say I mean, he blocks every single vampire all day long. He blocks Vengeline if that's your problem, and obviously kills all of these things. And then he attacks and does something even better. Let's go to the card that I'm not surprised that went up, but is on your list for up, and that's Inquisin, Inquisin, Inquisition of Kozilek. Inquisition of Kozilek? Yes. That's, that's interesting. See, I was a little surprised that this card made as much of a move as it did. Um, you know, we all know that uncommons can find their way up to the $5, $6 value, like, in, like you know, if we were called Path of Exile. Path to Exile. Uh, but Inquisition, you know, has been in standard for quite a while, it's even after Worlds, where, you know, there were a lot of them played, four of them in a lot of decks, it was still a $2 uncommon, which is, you know, really good for an uncommon anyway. I mean, you think Wall of Omens was about that value its entire time, but pretty universally across the board, this is a $3 card now. Um, there's no question that it's worth that much, and, I mean, it just went up. Like, do I think there's more room for it to, to grow? 
Maybe. Like, I, I'm really surprised that if it was going to... I mean, it's, how can it be played more than it's currently played? But um, if you don't have a playset, if you want to stockpile them, definitely try to get them for less than three, because that is easily what they're worth. They're on the way up. The next two I want to go into are lands. Uh, the first one are the extended filter lands. You know, extended season is, is winding to a halt here, and I think... There was a lot of speculation a few months ago. What color combinations are going to be good? Is it going to be all four-color control? Is it going to be five-color control? Is it going to be Jund? Um, and now, like, dust has settled in a lot of ways. And, you know, people are, you know, some people are over the format. They don't have any more PTQs left. They don't want to play this format anymore. It, it's kind of gotten to the point where Wizards is feeling like, you know, you're forced to play it. Um, and we've seen a lot of them come through recently where it's just like, you know what? I'm not playing any more PTQs this season, or I'm not playing Five Color Control, and that's the only one where I'm going to need four Cascade Bluffs, four Fetid Heaths, four, you know, Mystic Gates, four Sunken Ruins, all that jazz. Like, you know, I'm not, people maybe will keep some, but they've kind of universally gone down. I think uh, Twilight Mire was the one that, that kind of kept its value, I think. That's probably like a Jund Prismatic Omen related thing. But other than that, no, like they're they're all a few dollars cheaper than they were a week ago, and I think that trend will continue. And then we talk about the ones that are going up, which is not surprising, is World Wake Manlands. Well, that's kind of the opposite of the extended filter lands, where uh, on-color ally manlands, there are a lot of decks right now. And how sweet is it that you can activate your Celestial Colonnade, attack with it with a sword, and it's free, and you untap all your lands and make your opponent discard a card? Or... Um, Creeping Tarpit just kind of being all over the place. Raging Ravine being as good as it's always been. Um, World Wake Rares in general should go up just because of how many, how the scarcity of the product. But uh, they're all playable. They're all good. They're all going to see you know even more play. They're all good pickups. I mean, I think if you can get any of the blue ones for under five dollars, that's a home run. Uh, and if you can get Raging Ravine for three to four. That's that's a good buy. I mean, like Tar Pit, Stirring, like Stirring Wildwood, like when when they, when they first came out like a year ago, or so, Stirring Wildwood was actually played quite a bit, as opposed to like Creeping Tar Pit. But uh, now it's like the, the two dollar one, which could still easily find its way to three if you know, the Vengeline Quest X come back. Uh, again, they're all they're all universally good, universally going to go up. The margins aren't aren't universal though, so try to get those blue ones. And then the last land that you're talking about that's going down is Contested Warzone. Contested Warzone, it has, like, come and gone, flash in a pan. Uh, everyone with th- thought it was going to be the hotness with the aggressive decks. It spiked real fast, and it's coming back to reality as soon as you saw, you know, very few copies of it anywhere in the Pro Tour coverage. Um, it was, it was kind of what I was saying, where it's like, you know, if... Both deck, if like more deck aggressive decks are running it, you don't necessarily want to run as many or the full set of them. They might become a liability. They might not be as good. Um, and bottom line, if if the decks that play it aren't as good right now, it's not worth it. Well, we watched this card go from a dollar fifty to eight dollars, and now we watch it go from eight dollars down to like four fifty five dollars. And obviously, we know where the kind of the basement price for this card is uh, when it came out at a dollar. So you know, don't trade for it aggressively. Don't think it's going to be the next big thing, unless you know, you've got a sweet signal pest goblin guide deck that needs to run a whole bunch of those things, which I don't think exists. But uh, yeah, don't overvalue and don't be afraid to trade. And then the last three you have are going up, including this one, which is kind of unusual to see this goblin 
Goblin Chieftain is up. Goblin Chieftain. Again, we're talking about uh, the M10, M11 Lord cards. Now, for the longest time, Goblin Chieftain was a 50-cent dollar rare at best. It's a goblin. It's a lord. Woohoo. Like, you know, it's... It wasn't, like, super amazing in Legacy, although you could run, like, a, an X1. I think you could Matron for it, and it could be totally okay with a lot of a vial or something. Because uh, you're not casting your guys. It could be better than a Chieftain because it pumps them. But, again, it was, like, a 50-cent rare for seemingly forever. It was a dollar rare for a little while. But we've talked so much about Kadatha Red, and it's such a budget deck. And now that you have the event deck coming out that, that is complemented so well by picking up some more Goblin Chieftains, Kadatha Rebirth, obviously... This card has increased in value again. So it slowly crept up from fifty cents to a dollar, a dollar to dollar fifty, two dollars. It's currently at the two fifty plateau. For a budget deck, let's say people's plan is to you know go to FNM, buy the red in, uh, event deck, and add some goblin chieftains to it. I think the kind of the ceiling for this card is five dollars. I don't think anyone's going to spend more than ten or fifteen bucks to put them in their deck. But Kadatha Red is still a deck. It's a competitive deck. And you've got the event decks coming out where rares like this are going to be the instant cards you're going to want to put into them. It still has room to grow. Uh, I think it's a good pickup at anything under $2. You have Hero of Oxbridge. Hero of Oxbridge is huge. This might be, you know, actually you kind of save the best for last. Of the last two cards, this is probably the number two mover. The number two, you should get them now. Again, a mythic rare uh, in the newest set in a deck that could have easily won the Pro Tour. So good in the aggressive decks. So good in the... There's so many mirror matches. You've got all these Squadron Hawks, all these, you know, one-power guys when they're not attacking, sitting around. He comes down with haste, four power. Um, you know, fingers crossed he'll be... He'll meet up with Koth one of these days, because Koth attacks for four as well when it comes to play on four mana. But, but Hero is the hotness right now. It is... It is good. I mean, you could play it in Mono Red, you could play it in the Boros deck, you could play it in things that haven't been created yet that will make good use of it. Again, it's all these Squadron Hawks, all these Stoneforge Mystics, all these, like, guys that might be blocking, now they can't block, you're getting in with a four-power uh, haste creature, it's all upside. Wow, and it's so funny, when I saw that card, I thought the exact opposite. I was wondering where this was going to find a home. And proven wrong by aggressive decks that know how to use to have a, have a number like this, I mean, because usually most of their drops are one, two drops. To have something like this come down, that could really, it, like you said, it can turn the tide of a battle. In one. Well, it's interesting. Plane. You know, I, I I felt the same way that you did. I was like, well, why would you play this? How is this better than Koth ever? And it was like, well, you know, your opponent can't attack Hero of Oxid Ridge. Like, it's it's its own threat. They have to deal with it in combat. They're definitely going to be losing a guy for it. It's not like, okay, I'll take four, and now your cough's dead. You know, there's there's the top end spell on your deck. Maybe it hit me for most of a lot of acts. Um, it, it, it does more than I definitely thought it was going to, and is, you know, it's not legendary. You can just keep getting in there with those guys, and they have battle cries, so they stack it up. Yeah, and here I thought this was, and when I first saw that, I thought, oh, this will be great. It'll drop to like three, four bucks. Pick up a set for you know under fifteen bucks. I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, no, not anymore. <laughs> oh, this is this is a buy at under ten for sure as a mythic rare. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last one, which is n- kind of not surprising, considering the COD Godex uh, run it, and that's Gideon Jura. Gideon Jura, I don't know. 
You know, I, I mentioned this when I mentioned cough last week. I don't think it ever should have hit the $20 basement that it hit. It's always been good. I mean, just because it wasn't, you know, an X3 or X3, it's just because it's not a Jace the Mind Sculptor of a particular deck, doesn't mean this guy isn't good. And he still has, I mean, not only, I mean, like, it's obvious he's going to see a lot of action. Kago wins the Pro Tour, blue-white control, and it's very vari- various varieties. It's there. It's good. Uh, you know, it, it's good against Valakut. It's good against blue-black in certain situations, you know, maybe post-board after they don't have to go for the throats. But it's always been a good card. And, it, again, it's a Mythic Rare Planeswalker from a set that, you know, you're not going to see opened as much right now. I mean, we just reported on the website recently that Wizards made the official announcement that they're done printing Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason this couldn't be a 40 or $50 card. I don't think it's going to be there in a week or two. I don't think you need to trade that aggressively for it. But 25 or under, it's an auto pickup. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know what it is on our website right now, but it should be 30 35 by the end of next week. So I'm not going to find it at Denver for $25 on the Channel 5 lot table? I don't think so. I mean, oh. maybe, maybe, maybe you. Oh, maybe okay. Came to the booth and was like, I have a hundred dollar bill, and I was hoping to walk away with some Gideon Juras. Maybe we could make it happen. I mean, I don't know what you'd have to do for us, but uh, after this weekend, definitely. Not. Okay. Uh, and that is the buys and sells of the week. We also have what to play at F and M. I ironically went with the safe choice, and that's call go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, I think the uh, the deck lists can be easily found on our website, or it was actually featured on MagicGathering.com this week at one point as a daily deck list. Uh, that's your pick this week, Robert, for what you played FNM? Yes, and also the fact that, I mean, again, a case of Squadron Hawks, Stoneforge Mystic, it's amazing, and we had a debate about that, about what you had to drop to put in four Stoneforge Mystics, and it looks like the card that was dropped was Spreading Seas. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, with, can you beat Valakut in other ways you don't need it? Yes. Is the metagame more diverse probably you're fighting magic? Yes. Does that mean it's a good call to play Kago with your FNM? I- I'm down for that. It's not my pick of the week. I think uh, the artifact-based Tezzeret decks have got to be one of the most fun decks to play right now. Uh, you get to play with all these sweet artifact cards that are decent in draft, like Tunnel Magnet and Sphere of the Suns, and now can turn into 5-5 Vicious Beat Sticks, or Kadatha Forge Master into Mirror Battle Spheres, and then dome your opponent for, like, 14. I mean, all this stuff sounds really exciting. And I know it's kind of one of the more expensive decks to play, so I don't expect everyone to rush out and put it together, but man, oh man, does it look like it's fun to play. I just like the fact that the Mirror Battle Sphere came into a deck. You don't play much vintage, Robert. It's been there for a little while. Well, vintage is not it. If I tinker, I'm tinkering. I'm tinkering in Darksteel Colossus. Really? It was all tinkering my Blightsteel Colossus, and I'm pretty sure I'll win. Oh yeah, well, Blightsteel. I gotta have one of those first. (laughs) Alfireball.com. There you go. We have. We have. We have have like ten foil ones right now too. Get them now. Oh. We have a question for the show. And that is the and challenges the going challenges into a major GP representing Challenge Fireball. Uh, we're talking from like a player standpoint or your standpoint. My stand. Oh, this is two. This is directed to me. To you. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Uh, 
it, it uh, yeah, it's it's a big undertaking. I think uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much it takes to get a whole bunch of stuff to a Grand Prix or any any kind of large event. Um, one thing that we at Channel Fireball didn't realize until we were doing it more was we're at a huge disadvantage being in California because uh, we got to send stuff quite a bit, quite far away to do pretty much anything. And uh, it's been kind of difficult shipping pallets, taking uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of cards and single carry-on suitcases, and obviously airport security being very confused. Weeks of planning as to uh, how many extra large shirts you can fit into one box. Um, a lot, of, a lot of stuff goes into it, and uh, you know, a lot of times it goes unnoticed. But in a way, I think that's, I think that's the right thing to do. As long as it goes appropriately appreciated, which from the major events we've been in the last few months, I definitely think that we've had that. People are glad to see us, and we're obviously working harder and harder to make sure that we're at all of them. But it means, uh, you know, more of these Skype podcasts while sitting in an awkward hotel room on a Thursday night, and it means uh, a lot more loading a lot of my clothes into a smaller bag while I load a lot more cards and supplies. Well, like I said, the the difficulty of the fact is that you put in the... 10 plus hour days while there. You know, you're there from the, before the show opens, before the event opens, until after it's over with, and I mean, those are some long days. Oh, you know, I joked in Nashville, I was just in prison. I mean, I shared a room with at least one dude. Uh, my meals were brought to me. They were usually pretty bad. Um, I got to go outside, or as I like to call it, the yard, for about five or 10 minutes a day, where I got to smell fresh air. And then I was mostly stuck in a fluorescently lit room with a whole bunch of dudes. So, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, like, obviously I enjoy it enough. I want to keep back and keep coming back and doing it. And there's nothing I enjoy more than being at these events far away from our base and meeting people that love the website, um, interacting with people that, you know, oh, I read this or I saw that. It was awesome. Um, I love what you guys do. Uh, and that's, that's really the payoff that, that trades off for all of the, you know, ten to fourteen hour days that uh, get get made in preparation. So we also have an exclusive coupon for this podcast. Oh yeah, we do have an exclusive coupon for this podcast. Uh, this week, let's see here, where did it go? All my notes. This week, if you use the coupon code GP Denver when checking out of the website, if you spend twenty five dollars or more in singles. You'll be getting a free Mirror and Besiege booster pack on domestic orders only. Which is, I can't send sealed product to Brazil, South Africa, Japan, Barcelona. Oh, where else do I usually have to make tags for? Italy. I love all of you guys, and I swear next week we're going to make something we can send to everybody. But right now, super special for the Denver new set coming out. Free MBS booster pack for listening to the hardcast when you set buy $25 or more in singles. Well, or two or one Gideon Jura. Yeah, yeah. Buy a Gideon Jura, free Mirror and Siege booster pack. There you go. Uh, this weekend, I think there's something going on this weekend where you might see both of us, I think. You know, I'd like to think we've plugged it enough at this point, but we'll go over it one more time. Uh, again, you can find me tethered to the Channel Fireball booth 90% of this weekend. For the love of God, make some kind of excuse, you know, throw something and distract everyone else there so I can run away and maybe get into a cube draft or something. But uh, I'll be there buying cards, selling wares, and eating shitty hotel food. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, but more more importantly, someone who does not usually get to get out from behind the podcast is Robert. What are you doing this weekend? Um, I will be co-hosting the GG's Live coverage with Rashad, and I don't know who the other co-host will be, uh, but it'll be um, the two of us manning the uh, GG's Live booth for the Saturday and Sunday coverage. Sounds exciting. Now, there's like we mentioned before, there's quite a bit of, uh, like, you know, independent media at this event. So I'm, like I said, I'm very excited to see how many people we both know who are going to be there uh, talking away. Well, it'll be a lot of fun. And one of the things that I know I have discussed with um, Chris, who does the MTG cast stuff and will be there, is that we are going to try to get outside of the pros to talk to. They're going to try to get people that are doing real well that may not have a name and bring them in. Let them talk a little bit. So who knows? You know, we might find the next Conley Woods out there that might be in Denver. Well, I hope there's only one because I don't really know how many more I can handle. I'm just telling you, Tristan, I'm as tall as Conley and and I'm big like Conley. But Conley's chest makes me look small. <laughs> when he stands with that jacket and his thing and his chest is like this, you know, this, you know, offensive lineman chest. I'm like, oh, man, I'm small to you. That is a surprisingly surprisingly unique plug for for Conley Woods' chest. Yes, absolutely. Now I, I, I challenge all of our listeners get a picture with Conley Woods' chest this weekend. Hopefully, like right next to one another, so you can you can match up and compare. <laughs> Post them on the Channel Fireball site. How I compare to Conley. Yeah, email them all to Robert at ChannelFireball.com or Robert at MTGCast.com. Uh, he'll he'll take a look at all of them and uh, maybe post a winner or two. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. Just don't bring any baby powder. We'll save that one for another day. Again, again, just can't can't let it go. No, uh, I can't. Uh, well, we're at the end of our list here. Is there anything else we want to give to the people before I finally get out of this stuffy hotel room? Uh, no, to enjoy Grand Prix Denver, watch as much coverage as you can if you're not going to be there, but please try to be there because it will be a lot of fun. You will see all of your favorite Channel Fireball people there. And along with some other people that will be from all over the world there this week. So. Yeah, the, the the vast majority of the team will be there. I, I'm trying to think of who didn't RSVP to the to the lovely invitation cards I sent out. I'm pretty sure everyone will be there. Um, again, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, anything you want to throw at me, TSG at ChannelFireball.com. And that's about it. Enjoy your magic weekend and we will talk to you next week.